podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and their legacy today. I'll be your host, Brandon Hahn, and today we'll be continuing our now three-part look into the controversial hidden camera reality television series, To Catch a Predator, a show devoted to impersonating underage boys and girls as young as 12 years old with the hopes of luring men to undisclosed locations, which turned out to be police sting operations for all of America to see. Some viewed the show as a public service, while some felt it went beyond the law. Like, it would be times, Chris, when... Soon as they, you walk in and say, what are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, this is the beginning of the end right here for you. Uh, when they ask, um, can I leave? You're like, yeah. You're free to go. You're free, <laughs> you're, you're free to go. What's going to happen? Uh, it's not up to me. Right. Are the police outside? I don't know. It's not up to me. Right. <laughs> and I'm always joined by my co-hosts, Petra Speich and Jocelyn Sharp. The year is 2004. Perverted Justice, the nonprofit watchdog group, has gone from posting the pictures and chat logs of pedophiles on their websites to working with police and local television stations to expose sexual deviance through group media busts in under two years. Enter a group called Perverted Justice, a kind of online vigilante organization whose mission is to do what it believes law enforcement doesn't always have the resources to do make a full-time job of going after internet predators and they do it by posing as kids online this is what a 13 year old girl looks like <laughs> at perverted justice <laughs> at any given moment one of perverted justice's 25 volunteers some who say they were victims themselves of sexual abuse troll internet chat rooms usually through aol and yahoo waiting to be approached by a predator are these chat rooms really that creepy Oh, they're just loaded. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, half the times we have to close down some of the windows. There's so many guys hitting on us that'll crash our machines. The news of perverted justice's work quickly caught the ear of award-winning American journalist Chris Hansen, born September 13, 1959 in Chicago, Illinois. He started his journey towards journalism by graduating from Michigan State University College of Communications, Arts, and Sciences with a bachelor's degree in telecommunications in 1981. After getting his diploma, Hansen reported the news in Tampa and then Detroit until the network came calling in 1993, where he debuted on NBC News as a correspondent. Eventually, Hansen would be one of the lead journalists on NBC's flagship news magazine show, Dateline NBC, where he would eventually receive praise for his investigative reports on the Columbine massacre, the Oklahoma City terrorist attack, and most of Dateline's coverage on the September 11th attacks. While talking to his friend and fellow reporter Kevin Dietz, Chris Hansen learned of the efforts of the watchdog website Perverted Justice. He remembers thinking, wow, if we could combine their ability to work as decoys in chat rooms and our ability to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones, it could be pretty compelling. I can't say that's enough that sexual abuse in this country isn't just about sex. It's about seduction online, on the street, at school. Pedophiles seize every opportunity to try and connect with your children. And one reporter is doing what he can uh, and he's doing a lot to expose these offenders. Nearly 150 internet predators have been arrested thanks to Dateline, NBC's Chris Hansen. Does the interest of Chris Hansen, who had a reputation as a respected and honest journalist, legitimize the efforts of perverted justice, who at the time was still using a sliminess scale to rate the men that were caught online being sexually explicit to who they thought were children as young as 10 years old? I mean, if you look at him as a respected and honest journalist when he did things like uh, the Columbine Massacre, when he did things like the 9-11 attacks, things like that, it wasn't investigative journalism. He was presenting 
a tragedy. He was, you know, finding a way to find maybe the honesty or the, the heart of America. This is not any of those reports. This is investigative journalism. So what he saw here was something that he could capitalize on easily. He saw something that would be like, this could be a next step for my career, you know? That's the way I think he saw it. But he also saw it as like, but in in the process, I would be doing good. I definitely think your heart's in the right place when your thoughts are like, how can we protect children and take them down? It's just what happens afterwards that becomes questionable. I think what makes great investigative journalists is the same thing that makes great detectives, which is morbid curiosity. And I think in hearing about what perverted justice was doing, there was a probably a big journalistic part of Chris Hansen that was like, I'd really like to interview these people. I'd like to know more. This is a sect of society I don't think I've got to speak with. But morbid curiosity and exploitation are completely different things. Like if you want to exploit someone because you're, you have a curiosity, that means your heart's not in the right place. That means you want to do something evil. You're like, Ooh, we can bully these people. We can take them down. They're beneath me. That's exploitation. Morbid curiosity is like, let me find out what makes these people tick and let me see what these people are about. And let me try to understand these people. I think they're completely separate. I think that they can go hand in hand. I think you could be morbidly curious and then use that to exploit, which is probably what Chris, I mean, Chris Hansen was a good journalist for a reason. I mean, he got to the point he did probably because he was always willing to ask questions and, you know, do those things. So I, I can't imagine that there wasn't a part of him that didn't see that and go, oh, this is going to be great television. We've been investigating the national epidemic of grown men using the Internet to solicit underage teens for sex as more and more parents become aware of the danger. So have lawmakers in Washington. Good evening. I'm Stone Phillips. And I'm Ann Curry. Both houses of Congress have now passed a bill to create the first nationwide registry for sex offenders, which in many states includes online sex predators. After getting perverted justice and their services under contract, many people at NBC weighed in and figured out ways to improve the concept. During the filming of each episode, men who attempt to meet the minor in person are videotaped as they enter inside the sting house. Shortly after the target is inside, often after talking to a perverted justice decoy who briefly meets the them in person or converses with the men from another room, Hansen would confront each suspect and ask them about their online conversations, which were transcribed and printed with the decoy. And on November 11th, 2004, Dateline NBC would unveil the first installment originally called Dangerous Web to the World. Dangerous Web. Here is Stone Phillips. Good evening. Don't talk to strangers. It's a basic rule of safety every parent tells their child. But if there's a computer in your home, it's possible that your children have been talking to strangers. Tonight, we're going to show you just how dangerous it can be to let your child surf the web alone. And how quickly a stranger, maybe a sexual predator, can go from chatting with your teen in cyberspace to knocking on your front door. How easily can it happen? We found out in a Dateline hidden camera investigation. We want to warn you, some of what you're about to see and hear tonight is graphic and explicit. Here's Chris Hansen. Dangerous Web recorded 18 men who came over the course of two and a half hours after making online appointments for sex with a minor, all without the help of local law enforcement. One of the men in particular was a New York City firefighter who was later fired by the FDNY. While virtually every man who made a date to commit statutory rape showed up at our house, there was another who never made it in the door, although he came awfully close. He's a man in a position of trust. 24-year-old Ryan Hogan, screen name Ryan4686, a New York City firefighter. Want to call me? He wants to talk. 
After spending hours engaged in an obscene chat, sometimes from the firehouse, he makes a plan to come over to have sex with our 14-year-old. But as he drives by the house, he phones. He's having second thoughts and cancels, telling our decoy she's too young. He went back to saying it was immoral and illegal and everything else. But the real reason may have been something else entirely. He goes home, gets back online, and says he saw this. A police car coincidentally parked next door to our house. But even that doesn't stop him. He gets comfortable again, turns on his webcam, exposes himself, and masturbates, all while wearing his New York City firefighter sweatshirt. Yeah, it's obscene. It's obscene. And then, unbelievably, he says he's going to come by the house again. He never makes it, so we go looking for him. Hey, Ryan. Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC. And we're doing a story about uh, adults in chat rooms on the Internet. At first, firefighter Ryan says he thought the girl was 19. Then he decides to come clean. The reality is this. You had a conversation with somebody who said they were 14 years old. It was a very explicit sexual conversation. You got in your car and you drove by the house where she said she was home alone with no parents. Right. That's all true, right? Yes. But did I stop? No. Did I make the right, did I, in the end, make a, the right decision as what not to do? Yes, I did. Hypothetically speaking, how would you feel after seeing this episode if you were someone that this firefighter saved? It, w- it shouldn't change anything about his profession. When you think about, and I don't want to say anything negative about cops or firefighters, but when you think about cops or firefighters, these professions are not something that you have to have a, a, a large education for. You know, there is going to be a frat boy element to some of the guys that join these these teams, whether it be firefighter or cop. There is going to be an element of people that. That's why you get bad cops. That's why you get bad firefighters, right? The weeding out process of that isn't exactly something that has to be a high level of, of intelligence or education. This is just a, a job that is an honorable and very important job for sure. But you're going to get bad seeds for sure in both of those divisions. Now, the fact that he tried to keep this mentality of, like I said, a frat boy mentality or whatever he was doing to to incite, to to you know, harm a child does not define everything that he did as a firefighter. If he was a good firefighter, then he did save, save lives. If he was a bad firefighter and a bad person, which it seems like he is, that doesn't negate the fact that he did good in his life. That's one thing that people have to understand about pedophiles and, and these low scumbags of the world. They're not evil to the core. There's something in their heart do that have might moments. be good. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you choose to be like, you know what I'm going to do for my profession? Um, I'm going to run into a burning building to save a life. That's a mental choice. Most of us are like, why? Why would you do that? Oh, that's just because I want to do that. That means there's something in your heart that's probably good. There's something in your heart willing to risk your life for a stranger's. Meanwhile, there's another sector of that that gets hired on that don't really give a shit about saving people's lives and just want to be called a firefighter or a cop and want that power and want that esteem and want to take advantage of people with it. There is a sector of that. Obviously, whoever's life this guy saved is legit, and I don't know where he lands, but it seems like he lands on the the opposite sector of the bad side. I think it's hard because it's like it'd be like it'd be like a chef doing something bad and being like, well, now his food tastes like garbage. Well, his food is always good. It doesn't change that. I think that those are unrelated things. I think that 
if I'm being honest, I think that is as evolved and as objective and as understanding as a person as I want to be. I think that no matter how hard I tried, it wouldn't, it would change the way I saw that person. There's no, and I know this because I went, I grew up with a couple convicted pedophiles and it completely changed the way I looked at them after I found out about what they did. So I I know that I don't have whatever it is in me to just be objective and go, well, they were a good person all that time because I just can't like it, it really does change. I mean, there is something so it's a shock to the system. Can I say this? So viscerally upsetting about somebody doing something harmful to a child that I can't even be logical or objective. Can I say this? And again, I don't want to defend the pedophile side. What this site is doing is that they are communicating in a, in a pedophile way. It doesn't make them a pedophile unless they actually do something or is that a fair thing to say or is the communication enough to be like you are a fucking pedophile i think in my personal opinion if i've met anybody that was doing that i would immediately go you're a pedophile their intentions are that they're a pedophile but i guess the action of the, the people that actually have actions and follow through with something as evil as this to me, are on a different scale. Is this appropriate behavior for no, a New York City firefighter? No, sir, it is not. For any adult to for have any, this kind of any, conversation with somebody adult, who says no. they're a 14-year-old girl home No, alone. sir, it is not. Then what are you doing, Ryan? Um, I made a mistake at the time. I made the judgment call to correct that mistake. Is there anything else you want to say about this? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, people got to use their heads. People should know better. Um, I'm, I made a mistake. Producers of the second installment of the series decided to go with a change by changing the name of the segment from Dangerous Web to the name we all know, To Catch a Predator. Filming took place in 2005 in Fairfax County, Virginia, one year after the first installment aired. Dateline cameras captured 19 men arriving over three days. Among the men caught were a rabbi. And now I'm getting ready to ask him what he does for a living. I already know, but I want to hear it from him. What do you do for a living? A rabbi. A rabbi. Now, presumably, you counsel families and children in your position as a rabbi. Sure. Children. What are you doing as a, a man of God, as a rabbi, in this house, yeah. trying to meet I, a 13 year old boy? I, I'm really. I, I, I don't want to do anything that's further make you angry. I'm not angry. You're coming across in a very angry and authoritative sense. I've asked you for identification as to who you are and you've yet to show it to me. Right now all that's happened is that I'm sitting in a house. And you sent and you sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. And a school teacher. If you don't see how graphic some of these chats are, then there's a tendency to maybe give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it was his first time. Maybe he was just curious. But when you read the transcripts top to bottom, you know what the intent was. You know what these guys would be doing had there been a teenager home alone and not Dateline NBC. What are you looking for? A daddy boyfriend. Cool, I'm 48 though. Is that too old for you? You look like a cute guy, but you're an even cuter girl. If you like getting in the He says, if you love me, I will. You say it doesn't hurt. And then you go on to talk about oral sex, anal sex, 
and all the different things that you'd like to do with him. What are you doing here? I obviously made a big mistake. Do you do this sort of thing all the time? No. So this is the first time? Mm -hmm. You know, I hear a lot of that. Yeah, well, it's true. It's kind of hard to believe. Mm -hmm. What do you do for a living? I teach school. You teach school? Mm -hmm. What classes do you teach? Special education. So you're a special education teacher. But he really said he was 23. I'm looking at the transcript, so yeah, it's right. best not to lie, okay? Both the rabbi and the school teacher eventually lost their jobs. But it was another man, John Kennelly, who famously was interviewed by Chris Hansen while naked in the kitchen. John Kennelly is a guy who, in an online chat with someone he thought was a young teenage boy, said that he was a teacher at a prestigious high school in Virginia. The chat is graphic. At one point, the decoy said something about, you know, what would be really hot, strip down your underwear in the garage and walk in. Canelli says in the chat, I don't wear underwear. Decoy says something to the effect of, well, you know, come in how you are. And we really didn't think he was going to do it. Uh, this is our second investigation, and while we'd seen some surprising things, you know, who's going to walk into a stranger's house naked? Well, could you explain yourself? I'm sorry. Certainly. I'm sorry. What's going on here? Your son IM'd me. And he told me to come on over. He IM'd you? Yes, sir. You can sit down. How did he know to IM you? I don't know, sir. Honest. So he just chose you out of the blue and said, come on over, get naked, and walk into the kitchen. Well, I sat there talking to him for a little bit, yes. And what did you guys talk about? We were just talking about anything, sir. How old are you? I'm 29, sir. 29. And what do you do for a living? I drive a school bus. You drive a school bus? Yes, sir. Once again, none of the men were arrested. This is until naked John Kennelly was caught again at a McDonald's trying to meet a 13-year-old boy not even 24 hours later. This guy leaves our house shirtless, holding most of his clothes. And less than 24 hours later, there he is in a chat room trying to make a date with another young teenage boy. We couldn't believe it, but it was the same screen name, same everything. So the decoy made a date, and they agreed to meet at a nearby fast food restaurant. We move into position, he walks out of the restaurant, and we're there waiting for him. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. Sir, I just came but to get But I don't to eat. even know what to ask you first. I just came to get something to eat. John, we've been through this before. What are you doing? I've got the chat log again. You're chatting up another 13-year-old kid, and you're going to meet him here at McDonald's. You identify yourself. You call yourself Shane this time. You ask him a series of personal sexual questions. Is that appropriate talk to be having with someone you think is a 13-year-old boy? No. Last night, you walked into a home naked, hoping to meet a 13-year-old boy. You said you were sorry. It was the first time you'd ever done it. You admitted it was wrong. Yes, I did. You left. Yes, I did, sir. And within 24 hours, you're back on the internet chatting up another 13-year-old kid? What is going on? What do you have to say for yourself? I, I don't have anything to say for myself. 
The series turned out to be a massive hit, which would eventually beat or match the ratings of NBC's two biggest shows, The Office and The Apprentice. It spawned countless comedy sketches where Chris Hansen's trademark line, why don't you have a seat over there, would be used almost ad nauseum. I'm Chris Hansen, and this is To Catch a Predator. Tonight's investigation takes us to Los Angeles, perv capital of the world. We've set up a fake online sex chat room with this decoy to lure this man to this house where he thinks he's going to have sex with an underage girl. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy watching a full-grown man be reduced to a blubbering puddle of tears under my withering stare and blistering cross-examination. <laughs> Hello. Why don't you have a seat? Can you tell me what you're doing here? Yeah, man. I was just about to go have some sex with this teenage girl I met on the internet right quick. On the surface, NBC would cut and edit the show with dark musical scores and Chris Hansen constantly reminding the audience how potentially dangerous these encounters can be. But despite their efforts to spread fear, many found this show to be a comedy of sorts. Why do you think that is? Because it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, it's, uh, that's the whole thing. Is they weren't trying to arrest people. And, and they let you know that at the start. They were like, um, we're not trying to arrest anybody. We just want to expose them. Therefore... It's an entertainment value. That's what it is. Unfortunately, like it's dark, it's scary, but it's showing parents out there with kids at this age, like these are the kind of guys that might be communicating with your kids. So you have to pay attention. Like the selling of the fear is part of this program. It's not like, hey, we're going to get these guys off the streets, but God damn it. Look at the guys. Naked John Kennelly is trying to fuck your son right now. Okay. If you let your son unsupervised on the internet. So all that i think worked but it was entertaining they they always made it to a point where they wanted the big catches they wanted a firefighter they wanted this they wanted that if they saw this and that they they 18 guys came in and they they just picked the three best it was like auditioning yeah you know for what's the scariest scenario what's the best story this is all in a way like reality tv scripted Right. It's not like they were also it's not like they were getting every single dude that they were interacting with in this perverted justice. They were going to get the ones that were going to get the most ratings because it is still a television show. I think that this is on purpose. I don't think that you would edit a show. A good reality show isn't serious, 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 serious. You need there to be moments of levity in order to uh, excuse it as entertainment. If you're just showing like, look at these horrible, like it just becomes a weird territory. So they have to show these moments of comedy. And a lot of it was comedic i mean it got to a point like with catfish where we're like how do you not know you were getting to catch a predator like how did you not know you were getting there like how did you not know what was going to happen you know the dude getting naked in the kitchen there's plenty of instances of where like they're eating they keep eating the cookies while chris hansen is talking to them about you know what like there's all these things that 
it's humanity is funny and there is something funny in somebody who to Pete's point may not have been acting on, you know, pedophilic thoughts may have been doing something inappropriate online with a child, maybe playing with the idea of doing that, but hasn't acted on it. There is something human about, you can see that they know that they fucked up and they also don't know how to get out of the situation. First of all, obviously, uh, you know, uh, not a hilarious uh, subject we're talking about here, uh, (laughs) but still I'll make inappropriate jokes. Um, That's your job. That's what I do. Uh, No, first of all, I want to mention when you started this series, uh, it, it, people didn't know what to expect, and it was kind of a phenomenon. You you didn't know that 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 you'd catch. I think since the beginning of the show, you have you have caught two hundred and fifty possible uh, potential child predators. That's which exactly is a, right. First of all, fantastic service. So, uh, that's great. But second of all, did you? I had no idea when we started that this would still be going on two and a half years later. I mean, I thought we'd do it once or twice. And we'd get to the point where, you know, we'd have video of me pacing in a kitchen, you know, like the Maytag repairman. Right, right. Because no one's showing up. Right. Clearly, that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, And and of all of of the experiences that you've had meeting these different people on camera, what was the most memorable? Do you have one that sticks out in your mind? Well, twice now we've had guys who've walked in naked. The most recent happened in Fort Myers, Florida. Swear to God. I I saw one of those shows. Yeah, yeah. So this guy is chatting online with a decoy. And he wants this girl to do this bizarre sex act that involves whipped cream and a cat. And, right, right. And she sort of plays along with the thing. Right. And says, well, I'll consider it if you walk in naked. So we didn't think he was really going to do it. Right. But there we are. We're all set up. And I'm watching on the monitor. And this guy peels off his clothes. Yeah. And he's coming around the corner at a high rate of speed. And yeah. he's coming right for the room where we're all set up. Sure. And the decoy's back with me, and, and I go for the door, and he's got his hand on the other side, and I don't know who was more shocked when the door opened. I said, right. why don't you grab that you know, blanket, wrap it around you, and we'll have a little chat about all this. Okay. Which but, I was never taught in journalism school to keep right. a blanket or a towel nearby in case a naked man walked in who yeah. had to interview, you know. But Max <laughs> has since apologized. Uh, <laughs> the... And you... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He'll get me back. Uh, what I don't understand is this is the, the and we've talked about this. Right. Uh, one of the things that fascinates me the most is why these people, a, a large majority of them, when they realize it's Chris Hansen, it's Dateline, I'm caught, that they sit down and they talk to you for a long time. And they're, they're sitting there and they're, they're going on and on and on and on when you'd think that, you know, some of them run away, but you'd think 99.9% right. of them would run away. The vast majority stay in chat. And I think it's for two reasons. One, I think some of these guys are actually relieved. I think they've known they've had problems online. They're happy to be caught. Some of these interviews turn into virtual therapy sessions. These right. guys go on for 40 minutes and talk about their issues. And, and I honestly think some of these guys have seen the show, they know the routine, and they know when they walk outside that the police are there and they're going to get handcuffs put on. So why not hang out with Chris Hansen for a few more minutes and, and <laughs> have a cookie and a little something to drink and, you know, let's, the let's, inevitable is not good. Let's you know? talk about the cookies. You have, <laughs> you serve homemade cookies. You have them there. And what shocks me is these people walk in, you say, hi, I'm Chris Hansen, this is Dateline, you're caught, you're on national television, a sexual predator, and they sit down, they're kind of despondent and depressed, and they start eating these cookies, <laughs> and they really seem to enjoy the cookies. They're good cookies. Yeah, they're it's all, it's yeah. almost like an ad for the cookies. Well, I so good, even a caught sexual predator predator will pause to enjoy one. <laughs> I think that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's making it. 
I think it's out of a, a nervous reaction. I mean, right, they, right. You know, they really don't know what to do. They're, they're still trying to figure it out. Is this the mad dad? Is this the police? Sure. You know, am I on television? And out of nervousness, I think sometimes they pick up whatever snack is there, a cookie or a chip or whatever, and start munching on it. It's important to note that the people behind the first two installments of the segment did not work directly with local law enforcement officials, meaning they weren't on hand when the stings took place. The chat logs and pictures of the suspects would be posted to pervertedjustice.com, but no arrest would be made. Do you think the public viewing audience even cared about no arrest being made, or were they perfectly content with Chris Hansen publicly shaming them on national TV? Uh, the public viewing audience just wants entertainment. I mean, and they love to hate. So anybody that they can hate that's on that screen is um, very much going to make them watch again. Ooh, who can I hate now? Ooh, let me see what's going on. That's part of like when you talk true crime stories or, or TV shows or anything like that, half of it is straight exploitation. And the other half is like, let me work on this angle or let me work on your heart or let me work on capturing them like John Walsh would do. This show was of the angle of, let me just show you guys dredges of society so we can make fun of them together and sell you the fear of this is what can happen to your child. So it was pure entertainment. There was nothing else for it. The only demographic or audience it was going to, because they weren't trying to arrest or get these people off the street. They were just trying to expose, exploit, and entertain. We know in our society that if somebody is publicly let to be known as a sex offender, especially when it comes to children, that their their life is never going to be the same. They don't get to live a normal life anymore when everyone knows they're a sex offender. So I think that the public was satisfied with it. Even the most moral of the public who maybe are watching the show because they got caught the fear bug and they're so fucking afraid that they can't stop watching it. Even those people, I think it's it's like, well, you know, he may not got arrested, but his life's over, you know, like especially in the cases where it was like a high school teacher or like a priest. Like those are all things that on the biggest one of the biggest rated shows on NBC, you're not going to get away with. You can actually see one of the episodes where they caught the rabbi. And I mean, the look on his face, it's it's you see he realizes that his whole world is over and he doesn't even know what to do with his hands. I mean, it's like Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Like, you know, he just didn't know what to do. You've never done this before. You know, because I hear that a lot. You see a reaction on his face. And that pretty much seals the deal. He wants to know right then and there who I am. And so I tell him. I don't understand why I can't pass. I don't think I'm more than happy to tell you who I am. I am Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC, and we're doing a story on computer predators. Oh, no. Come on, guy. Don't, don't, you, don't want, you don't want to touch anybody. You don't want to. It was really one of the only times, the only time, really, where somebody actually physically lunged at me. Now, looking back, I really don't think I was in much danger. But you can see how the security system works. Our guy stepped in took care of it, and diffused the situation. You've got to stop this. Sit down. Sit down. You don't have any you're free to. You're free to leave any time. We got phone calls from him for months, and he was downright mean. He blamed us for his situation, and we offered him the chance to do an interview. He initially said yes, but only if we didn't show the video from the house, didn't show his face, or identify what he did for a living. And obviously, those were conditions we could not meet. In this investigation, unlike the more recent ones, we did not have police doing a parallel investigation. 
these guys walked away. We did, however, interview the Fairfax County, Virginia police afterwards, and perverted justice supplied police with the chat law. So ultimately, a lot of these guys were prosecuted. After the immense popularity of the first two installments of To Catch a Predator, NBC would start cranking out episodes as fast as they could in an effort to capitalize on the show's massive popularity, releasing eight of their investigations in two one-hour specials in 2006. The first of these would be the third installment of To Catch a Predator, and it would feature the show's first time teaming up with local law enforcement. Filmed in Riverside, California, this time the suspects would be recorded getting handcuffed by law enforcement immediately following the Chris Hansen interview. During the sting, 50 men would be arrested and then charged with felonies over the next three days, with two of the men claiming to have seen Dateline perpetrators trying to have sex with minors. Why even talk to somebody who you think is 13 years old, huh? It was stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. So why don't you... I have... I want to tell you straight up. Well, I had a stepdaughter, Yeah. and she was um, what was separated from my wife. I have a five-year-old kid, right. and my stepdaughter, and she was, at the moment, she was 14, mm-hmm. and she was doing the same thing, playing on the internet, Right. and uh, she met a guy, He wa- well, he wasn't old enough, but he was like 17, but she right. was 14 at the moment, and I swear to, I got so pissed, I even told my ex, you know what, I don't want her, if she doesn't, she's not going to go by the rules in the house, so, wait, 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 so you're telling me that you had a 14-year-old stepdaughter, who met a guy on the internet to have sex. No, no, no. She met him, you know, it's just to, uh, right. to well, be friends. To be friends. Okay. And that upset you. Yeah. Yeah, so you're upset and you didn't want her meeting well, guys I on the internet. You know, you so you her? walk into this house to meet a 13-year-old girl. Well, why is that okay? You know, as a parent, you know, when somebody comes in and tells me a story like Polito did about how his stepdaughter had met somebody online and he's all upset about that when it comes to his stepdaughter but he's willing to walk into somebody else's house and meet somebody else's daughter i mean that's the ultimate hypocrisy would you be okay if a grown man of 40 years old walked into your home to meet your daughter then why is it okay for you to do this very stupid so that all that stuff about teaching her a lesson and being the, no, well, the, the protector, that's, that's, that's a big lie. That's, no, it's, it's, it's what I was going to tell her, too. Why couldn't, you just, why couldn't you just tell her I don't in know. the internet? Why yeah. couldn't you just say, this is a bad idea, you're yeah. young, you shouldn't be doing this? Yeah, yeah it's true. Why not call yeah. this internet service provider and say, look, there's a girl here, yeah. she might be in danger? It's true. But you didn't do any of that, did you? No. No, you came here. Did you bring condoms with you? No. Are you sure? Yeah, I did. You did bring condoms? Yes, I did. And, and what part of the lesson... So I, was, I wasn't going to use them, I was going to give them to her. You were going to give her condoms? I thought, look, if you want to do this, it's on your own. All right, so you just came over to tell her it's a bad idea to talk to guys on the internet, but if you're going to talk, here, use some condoms. Danny, mm-hmm. it doesn't wash. I know. It doesn't wash. Well, I'm sorry. Why don't you start again and just tell me what your plan was tonight? Just to meet her. Just to meet her. Yeah. But the condoms, the sex talk. I know, I know. I never done this before. I mean, I, I have never been in problems with the police. Do you ever watch TV, Danny? Yes. Do you ever watch Dateline NBC? Yes. Have you ever seen our stories on computer predators? Yes. This is one of them. Now, if there's anything else you'd like to say for yourself, no, that's it. then obviously you're free to leave.
Do you think NBC worked with law enforcement officials because it gave their cause more validity in the eyes of the public, or was it because they could almost see the mountain of lawsuits headed their way if they did not? I feel like lawsuits could not have happened if they did not arrest them. If somebody goes into, and Chris Hansen does this, how once you have a seat over here, hey, we're going to let you go, but we're using this footage, sign this piece of paper, or you're going to jail. That's probably something that went down. So they probably covered their tracks pretty good that way. This way, the issue is, is that you're going to go to a court of law with all this as evidence for the defense. So now lawsuits to me can occur because the defender can be like, look, I got entrapment here and there is a case for an entrapment here. There is one. And now they can get lawsuits where before I, I don't think you could. I really don't think you can. If you show up on a reality TV show or you show up on something, you sign a waiver saying I'm aware and I give you full disclosure to do this. When people are getting arrested, it's different. They're going to sign a waiver later. The best example is that show cops. All those people that were on that show, they signed the waiver. They didn't get booked. They didn't go to jail. They let them go. You're like, all right, you're here for entertainment value. That's what cops was. That's what to catch predator was. Now that they're getting arrested and they're getting put through the system, now you have a trial. Now you have a defense. So I, I think that what the public wanted was this. I don't think it was beneficial for the network. No, it was, it was, I think it was purely entertainment. Pete brought up cops. People love to watch people get arrested. Even now in 2019, you can find 30 shows on Netflix that are just people getting arrested or just about jail because most of us haven't been, we haven't been to jail. We haven't been arrested. We're fascinated by it. We're always fascinated by counterculture and, there is no better bow on on a present that To Catch a Predator presents to their audience than than arresting them. I mean, that the visuals alone, you know, were, were just great entertainment, I think. And that's what I think the thought process was. I don't think it had anything to do with legality. Please, please, just sit down. I, I won't go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go to jail. But I need you just to stay by the bench there, please. What are you wearing at the moment? My boxers and tank top. I sleep in. Oh, don't, please don't read it. I know what it says. And then you sent this, John. Is that appropriate in any way? You know, that's against the law right there. Is it? To transmit that to somebody who you think is underage? Yes, it is. Transmit it, Bob. No, I didn't transmit that to her. May I ask? Do you see my pick in the chat window? Yeah. Think you would like that in you? How big is it? Well, you saw. Go get a can of Coke. Dang, will it hurt? A little yes at first. Now, what, am I, what conclusion am I supposed to draw here, Don? I can't see anything. I'm done. I'm fine. Well, there's, Please arrest me. There's, and with the show growing, there would be open palms asking for their cut of the pie. Xavier Von Erk, founder of Perverted Justice, would hire an agent to negotiate with NBC and would start a bidding war with rival TV stations over the use of Perverted Justice's services, which NBC would ultimately win by giving the once nonprofit website over $100,000 per episode. On one hand, Xavier Von Erk and his crew were doing hours of research and most of the legwork for NBC, so it seems fair that they would receive a little compensation. But on the other hand, Xavier would tout how PJ was a nonprofit organization and only started up peach to protect the children with no interest of making money from efforts what does not just receiving money from a network but hiring an agent to fight the network for the most money they could potentially get say about xavier and pj's motives i don't think it changes the thing here's the fact is that when he was doing a nonprofit organization he had to probably work and support his family and get a job and do things because he was not making profit at this point 
the best job opportunity he had was perverted justice. Therefore, he has to profit. He has to take care of himself. He has to take care of whatever family he may have. And he has to quit whatever job he may have and focus on this. This is just opportunity that grew out of what he was doing initially. I don't think anything changed in that process for him as far as like what I'm doing because it's the same exact website it was after To Catch a Predator and now, except now his resources and his work are going to be tenfold. So to hire an agent, you would have to do that because you're working with a network. You can't go directly through them. So for him to make this a job and make a living off of it, I mean, that's the next logical step to me as a person that thinks like, hey, this is what you wanted to do for a living. If you start a website, anybody out there, and you do it out of heart, and someone's like, I'll pay you to do this, most likely you'll quit your job and be like, yes, I'm going to do what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's kind of what I think he did in this uh, in this way. I agree with Pete. I, I don't think this has anything to do with his moral character. I think that probably has to do with as the To Catch a Predator popularity picked up, the workload of perverted justice picked up, and he was probably got to a point where he was like, "You guys have to start paying us. Like we're, yeah. we're people. These my friends have jobs and stuff. Like I get it. Like I, I agree with Pete. I think it's exa- I think it was just opportunistic, and this was an opportunity for me to move my life forward in a way of doing something that I enjoy doing, and I'm also going to be doing regardless. And the devil's advocate side is that he completely sold out and now he's just about uh making the money you know to expose and exploit these people but here's the thing that i I want people to realize is that he was exploiting people when he wasn't making money so what's changed in the exploitation process nothing people were guilty before they were proven innocent before to catch a predator according to uh xavier xavier see what i'm saying so at this point like yeah this is the next logical step did he sell out in any way from my standpoint I'm going to say no, but I mean, the whole thing's slimy on his end. The whole, the whole process of everything he's done is slimy and, uh, and, you know, exploitive. There's nothing really good to say about it, but getting paid for it eventually, that doesn't change my opinion. So my question is, how much do you get paid by NBC per show? That really isn't relevant towards the prosecution. And really, honestly, at the end of the day, that's an issue for an accountant and not for us. The fourth investigation took place in Greenville, Ohio, where a sixth grade teacher was apprehended, as well as a man who was already slated to start a prison sentence in four days for a different charge of solicitation. Frag from Perverted Justice has just learned something astonishing about the next man heading for our house. He's just been convicted of attempting to solicit sex with a child. So, right before he has to go into jail next Thursday, he wants to come over and have sex with another minor, or try. He's talking about Kevin Westerbeck, the man with the bird on his head. Ironically, his screen name is changed for the better 2006, a budget analyst for the military. He's been chatting with someone posing as a 13-year-old virgin, Corinne Destiny Forever. Would you get naked? Could we turn up the heat so I don't get cold? Sure. Laugh out loud. Cool. Have sex? Would it be fun? Of course. He asks the girl if he can stay the night, but as the online chat progresses, he worries that this is a setup. He asks the girl if she's a cop. Corinne Destiny Forever, one of many perverted justice members around the country working during this investigation, says, no way. Later in the chat, under a different screen name, Kevin West, he admits what we already know about him. I did something stupid less than a year ago. So? I went to court Friday about it. What you do? My attorney and I plea bargained. This next Thursday, I go to jail for it. For it, for 11 months. I got busted soliciting. 
Amazingly, he was admitting to someone he thinks is a child that he was arrested for doing exactly the same thing he's doing with her. That's our boy. Copy. Online, he tells the girl he's 27, but the man walking down our driveway is really 47. The Greenville, Ohio sting was also the first time the show needed to swear in members of perverted justice as temporary deputies for the length of the operation, which raised questions among other journalists, which is almost unheard of for a media outlet to allow its paid associates to act as law enforcement officials, even on a temporary basis. Executive director of the Reporters Committee of Freedom of the Press, Lucy Dalgish, says in a quote, I can't think of anything like that. Journalists reject such an arrangement because they might be publicly perceived as being agents of the government rather than as independent news gatherers. What problems do you see happening if we mix media outlets with the government? Yeah, I am First Amendment, freedom of press, right? The press is supposed to not have any kind of judgment or ties to what they're reporting they're just supposed to report the news exactly so if you are sided with one person obviously there's a huge bias to it um but again what i i guess we always come back to when we talk about this show the people we're dealing with according to society in the world the pedophiles they have no rights and that's what people keep forgetting like all these little like loopholes that are happening are happening because we're dealing with people that have no rights we're dealing with people that want to harm children and that's why you can always argue that till the end of time. It's like, well, fuck it. They're dealing with pedophiles. Who gives a shit? A lot of people don't care about all these little things. Like, what kind of journalist integrity do you have to do? Do you have to protect the pedophile? Like, that's where I think the people will always lose their argument. Is because, in essence, whenever you go against Xavier, perverted justice to catch a predator, you are protecting and can be twisted. The words can be twisted. You are protecting a pedophile. And his rights or her. I think that the problem with mixing these is that it's it wasn't done for the right reasons. I mean, there's temporary deputization is, is done when there's a member of the community that needs to help the police force. I mean, there's lots of reasons to temporarily deputize somebody, but to apprehend what is most often than not fake apprehend, you know, a, a, a sex offender, it just doesn't feel like it's the right. They did this for some sort of, uh, you know, behind the scenes reason that I think we don't see. There was some that allowed them to get a break on money or there's something here that we're not seeing because it makes no sense to do it. TV time, they're right. apprehended for NBC. They're not apprehended for the county, but TV time's the main thing. A lot of people, oh, I get to be on the show. I get my name in the little thing. That, that matters to people, man. You know, and being deputized allows them to go in there and actually manhandle someone if need be. Get on the ground! In Ohio, in order for prosecutors to file the most serious charges, a police officer needs to be involved in the online chat or phone conversation. Since in this case, perverted justice members are the decoys, the sheriff's department temporarily deputized the PJ volunteers who were in our house. The fifth of the series was filmed in Fort Myers, Florida, where things got real Florida real fast. One suspect brought his five-year-old son to the sting house while another man showed up during an internet chat, asked the supposed 14-year-old if she was willing to have oral sex with a cat and perform sex acts involving Cool Whip. The fake 14-year-old replied yes on 
the condition that he would enter the house naked. A perverted justice decoy is playing the part of a 14-year-old named Cindy. She's talking to this man, Marvin Lackhan, screen name Crazy Trini 85. They met in an online chat room. Cindy tells him she's a virgin, and he sends her a picture of his genitals. Crazy Trini 85 asks her if she'll try anal sex and adds, it's better than regular sex. Then he asks her if she has a jacuzzi. I'm a you in there. And on your mom's bed? Why not my bed? That too. <laughs> I'm a you in every room, so no matter where you go, you'll remember me. Next, he asks her if she has any pets. Cindy says she has a male cat. And you won't believe what crazy Trini85 asks next. You know what would be a huge turn on for me? What? He wants to watch her perform a sex act on a cat. He says people do it all the time. They discuss it further on the phone, where he tells her they'll need Cool Whip. The decoy says she'll try it if he's willing to strip off all his clothes and walk into her house naked. That's him right there. He's pulling in the driveway. As we told you before, according to law enforcement, asking a suspect to bring or do something specific demonstrates intent. There's like a green thing over the back door. The decoy keeps talking to him as he walks up the driveway. I'm going to find my cat quick, okay? Just strip in there and I'll be out with the cat. Alright? He's coming around. Okay, yeah. Like, whatever you want. I guess totally naked because that was a deal, right? This is a man who apparently sticks to a deal. He walks in the back door, takes off all his clothes in the laundry room, and goes in search of the decoy. You want to explain yourself? Grab that towel right there, please. Wrap it around yourself, and please sit in that stool. What are you doing? Making a mistake. Making a mistake? What is going on in your mind? You don't know. Now, what do you think would have happened, Marvin, had I not been here and had there actually been a 14-year-old girl in that next room, what would have happened after you walked in there naked? Something probably would have happened. Something like what? Something along sexual lines. Like you would have had sex with a 14-year-old girl? I'm not sure if I would have done that, but... Marvin, you're naked. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone all the way. I wasn't going... You, were, you went all the way when you took your clothes off, just about. Then I asked him about the plans he talked about online for the cat. You know what would be a huge turn on for me what watching you blank him meaning the cat she says I don't think I want to blank the cat would you for me you're gonna make this 14 year old girl perform a sex act on a cat was that your plan it wasn't well, why did you say it then I was I was, I was just messing around with it I was just messing serious. around I really wasn't serious about the cat you gave her instructions about using Cool Whip. Very specific instructions. And another guy got his sister to give him a ride to the house, and when confronted by Hanson, the man pulled his shirt over his head and said, I don't want to be on the news, dog. To which Hanson replied, it's a little late for that, dog. Remember the 21-year-old who duped his sister into driving him to meet a girl who said she was 14? Okay. We're doing a story she on a girl who tried to meet kids on the internet. Hey man, I don't want I don't want to um 
be on on the news. You feel me? We are filming. I don't want to be on the news, dog. Well, it's a little late for that, dog. Now, if there's anything else you want to tell me. At this point, do you believe that Chris Hansen and the producers of Dateline were trying to make the show as funny as possible while not just exposing these men, but embarrassing them in front of the masses? Absolutely. I think that they went for the most outlandish people they can find on the internet or that that were coming in they probably scrolled through so many different people be like all right we need crazy we need over the top we need this to be better than that because that's what you do on television you top yourselves like can i have a 14 year old perform oral sex on a cat and and do it with cool whip you know what i'm saying like this person doesn't have mental disorders but goddamn, that's hilarious on TV, you know. Chris Hansen's in improv, just like uh, Michael Scott from The Office is now getting better when he's saying, like, repeating the dog to the guy. Like I said, it's all entertaining. It's all entertaining. But the people that they're going after now, they don't have really a chance or a place, you know, to do anything, I guess, in society. But also, again... There's a point where, hey, if we're going to exploit, we got to exploit hard. We got to make this as entertaining as possible. And yeah, they're definitely at that stage. And that's where you can see after this episode, you guys are going to get in trouble because you don't have limits. You don't care. You want people to laugh at fucking pedophiles. There's no way you can cut this that, to tell me that these people cared about changing the way that sex offenders gain victims. There's nothing about this that tells me that these people had any working knowledge of how sex offenders groom or, you know, that, that they were trying to rehabilitate. There's no want to stop the offense before happening. The salivation at the thought that somebody would already offend or maybe offend later, like this is all the gross part to me. It's that it's not about, it's not about changing the world for the better. It's about, well, look at these sickos. It's not about like, well, you know, maybe we need to fix these sickos so kids can stop getting molested. Maybe that's the real issue. It's not about that. It's just about like what Pete said. It's just a like whack them up. Like look at this Benny Hill type thing with pedophiles. It's just all in, it's all gross entertainment. Yeah. Some guy's got a bottle of Jack in him. He's got a computer and he's typing to somebody the shit that, that's going to come out of their mouth. People can say like that's somebody of their mind is correct right now. No, man. He's asking some girl to, to fucking blow a cat. Like that's not that shouldn't be on TV. Personally, that should be, hey, cops, deal with this guy, right? But no, that's that's over-the-top exploitation of, of someone who's got serious issues. You know, They don't know what's driving them. All they know is they're being driven and they can't stop. And to risk themselves so greatly clearly shows how powerful a ride that is. Most guys don't go on the Internet and say, you know, I'm going to decide to ruin my life today. Most guys go on and say, I need something to make myself feel better. And they're not conscious of what they're doing. And Dr. Marcus says there are different reasons men choose to meet children for sex. Some, and this may be a min minority, have a primary attraction to that age group. Others are more um, looking for a situation where they can feel powerful, where they can, again, explore parts of themselves, try to do things in a situation where there is a power differential. <laughs> Brandon Hahn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Hahn Comedy. Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. And last but not least, follow us, Rise to Offend, on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend, and on Instagram at Rise to Offend Official. And make sure to listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks on MetalSucks.net. Email us 
comments, questions, or errors we may have made, or any figure you would like us to cover at risetoaffend at gmail.com. Discover to catch a predator during occasional reruns on MSNBC and learn of perverted justice at pervertedjustice.com. All content provided on this show is copyrighted by its owners. Thank you so much for the reviews on iTunes. These five-star reviews are helping this show grow, and it is all we can ask from you guys. Please, if you listen to the show and appreciate all the hard effort behind it, review the show on iTunes for us. It truly means the world to us that you take the time to listen and review the show. Next week, we wrap up our three-part in-depth look into Dateline NBC's To Catch a Predator. Until next week, Repeat Offenders, RTO Podcast, signing off. Repeat.